I know this time of year we always have a number of people with us that are new to Texas, so I have a newsflash for you. Summertime in Texas is really hot. Okay, did you not know that? It really, really is hot. The, the number one search in Texas in the summer is for effective refreshment. Humans, plants, animals, everyone thirsts for cool restoration. Uh, if you're new here, I'd like to illuminate for you three major means by which we seek for restorative coolness in the summer. Um, these are important. Please take notes. Number one, in Texas in the summer, the most important thing is to find a place that is shady to park your car. It is, in all sincerity, the number one source of coveting among Christians in the summertime is somebody who has a shady place, uh, and it doesn't even have to be paved, apparently, if you're a member of our church staff. Uh, number two, this one may surprise you, especially if you've arrived from a wetter climate, uh, North Texans pray for rain, and they are very serious about this in Texas, especially as the summer heat begins to dry up our lakes. Number three. Uh, in our quest for effective refreshment, we daily in Texas drink enough iced tea to float a destroyer. Um, amen. Yes. <clears throat> and none of that sweet stuff. No, actually, I like sweet tea. Of course, that is, that's all merely physical, right? Let's talk about what really matters. In a far more significant spiritual sense, refreshment is the main struggle for all of mankind, folks. All around the world, everyone, even Christians, get dried out and they need revitalized. Let me just ask you this. Anybody here ever been in need of spiritual refreshment? Have you ever been beaten down by life? Uh, really, really seriously beset by doubts? Um, um, let me throw this one at you. So dried up that you're not even really interested in the fellowship. You're just not even encouraged to spend time with other Christians. Anybody ever been that dried out? Raise your hand if that's you. Yeah, okay, me too, me too. I have experienced that. I've also experienced what I hope you have the incredible refreshment and encouragement of the Lord Jesus Christ and the awesome uplift you get when you let his people engage with you. Have you ever, have you ever walked in? Let me ask you this one. Raise your hand if, the, if you've experienced this. You've walked in to a church gathering, really, quite frankly, dried out. And when you walk out, you just, the, the, the soil has swelled, the ground is covered. You, just, you feel this unmistakable sense of, of encouragement, of refreshment. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced that. Isn't that beautiful? I get to experience that all the time, and it is awesome. Now, I bring that up because the amazingly wonderful characters in the book of Philemon are no different than us. They, they experience dryness, and they long for refreshment. They, Philemon and Paul especially really appreciate the encouragement of the body of Christ. Open your Bible to Philemon, I'll show you. Uh, Philemon's kind of hard to find. It's just a very short book, just before Hebrews, right after Titus. We're in a study of Philemon, and today we're going to read verses uh, 4 through 7. Go to Philemon and verses 4 through 7. Paul says, I always thank my God when I mention you, Philemon, in my prayers, because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Verse 4 displays the first thing Paul teaches us about effective restoration here, that we can refresh by praying for others. By the way, that's the headline in your notes. You got a worship guide when you came in. Open it up on the left-hand side. You'll see the headline, Refresh by Praying for Others. This is one of Paul's hallmark traits. Um, I want to just show you a few of the times that, that Paul mentions praying for people. Look up here. 2 Corinthians 13. We also pray that you become fully mature. 
Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Philippians chapter 1, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, to this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work by, in, of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that remarkable? Now look at the things for which Paul prayed in the prayers we just read. Look what he prays for. Maturity, enlightenment about the greatness of being Christian, Love to grow in discerning knowledge and worthiness by God's grace and for His glory. Is that how we pray for people? It should be, because that is the real blessing that people need. They need the blessing of growing up in Jesus. My old mentor, Dr. Wimp, uh, put it this way to me. Many, many times he said some version of this to me. Wayne, it's fine to start by praying for Jack's back and B's knees, but that is a ridiculous and shallow place to stop. Pray for their souls, man! Close quote. You like that? Thank you. I do Dr. Wimp well. According to the guidance through Paul, Dr. Wimp was right. And that's convicting because we tend to pray. Listen, we tend to pray far more about physical things than spiritual ones. Now, actually, you folks here are pretty healthy in this. I, I will say a good number of the prayer requests we receive are about maturity and enlightenment and love and worthiness. And yet I personally find that I am far more likely to request prayer for something physical, which is frankly ridiculous. There, there are immaterial things that need addressed in my life all the time. I should be seeking prayer support for those things, not merely my torn ligament. This, this is how we can all be refreshed. In, in the heat and pain of this earthly crucible, we can ask for prayer about the things that matter most. And when we pray for each other, like Paul prayed for his brethren, it changes lives. In fact, I am convinced of this. I am convinced that we will not experience full refreshment ourselves until we shower love and faith on others by lifting them up in prayer. Not long ago, I got a note from a family, a family here at church, and uh, they were concerned about the fact that their daughter was dating a non-Christian. They were appropriately concerned about her ignoring God's wisdom about being unequally yoked. But, get this, in their note, they said, our main concern is actually for the young man. We really care for this guy, and we want him to come to the family of faith in Jesus, close quote. So, so we, we prayed for that dude, and I, I prayed for him. I prayed for the family. A few weeks later, a girl comes up to me at church. She says, Pastor Wayne, I'd like you to meet my boyfriend, and she introduced her boyfriend to me, and I recognized the name from my prayer list, and I said, oh, my goodness, I just prayed for you last week. It's so great to meet you, right? And he said, oh, thanks, and, and we talked for a minute, and he walked away. It was not very long after that 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 young man became a believer in Jesus, He heard the gospel a number of times, and he finally recognized his need for a Savior. When we chatted about his conversion to Christ later, when we talked on a Sunday morning, he told me this. He said, I never got over the fact that you prayed for me before you ever met me. That made me think about what kind of God could make people love others that much. Now, to provide full disclosure, that young couple is no longer an item. Um... I've seen this many times. It tends to happen pretty often in these cases. As the young man begins to grow in Scripture, as he began to grow and he's reading the Bible, he's learning, he became horrified that she dated him, given who he was before. And he was like, what were you doing dating me, B.C., but before Christ? And, and broke it off. But he still, 
he is still very close to her family. And get this, here's what's most important. They are always going to be related as part of God's forever family, right? And the encouragement of prayer was a main tool the Lord used to bring that about. God sparks restoration when we pray. That's why we have a large church prayer chain, folks. It, it's easy to join. You just, you just mark it on that little flap that's inside your, your worship guide that you got. Just mark it on there that you want to be in the prayer chain. You will receive updates at least weekly, and I highly encourage you to join. It's, it's awesome. We can also refresh others through faith and love. Look back at verse 5. Uh, verse 4, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul thanks God for Philemon because of his love and faith. And notice the first direction of that love and faith. It is toward God the Son. Philemon is a believer in Jesus, but he also follows Jesus. He trusts the Lord on a sanctifying daily basis, and his life is toward Jesus. He actively loves Jesus. He trusts him and he loves him. That's why his life direction is toward Messiah, because Philemon loves his Lord. Now, what is your life toward? His life is toward Jesus. What about you? What draws you in? What, what are you moving toward? Is it sports? Is it politics? Stories? Family? Sinful stuff? Escapism? Learning? What, what excites you? What draws you in? What are you moving toward? Look, let me ask you three questions. Here's a pretty good way to figure out an honest evaluation. Uh, three questions. Question number one, what causes you to turn on media? What, what is must-see for you? Okay? Question number two, ask yourself this. What do I always find time for? No matter what, I always have time for blank. Answer that question. Third question that can help you figure out what, what, what are you moving toward? Third question, for what do you not mind spending money? On what are you, some of us are real cheapskates. We hate spending money. But there are some things that we really are happy to spend money on. For me, that's lolly and pops. I'm very happy to spend money on candy. So, so what's yours, all right? Now, think of those three questions, all right? Considering all that, what makes me tune in? For what do I always find time? On what do I not mind spending money? Did you come up with Jesus as the answer? Did you come up with the Lord as your answer? If not, well, then you and I likely need to work on our following skills. We need to be more like Philemon, trusting and loving Jesus who showers us with undeserved blessings and life. And notice that Philemon also shows trust and love for all the saints. This means Philemon is that kind of person who cares for the brethren and believes the best for them. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever had someone believe in you, trust you, even though you likely didn't deserve it? You ever had that experience? Years ago, I was a minor speaker at a conference uh, where Howard Hendricks was the uh, headliner. And I ended up in the refreshment room uh, with Prof Hendricks, and he and I were lounging on a couple of couches, and we were swapping stories. It was just a, a marvelous afternoon. We had so much fun. And he told one story that I will never, ever forget. Howie Hendricks told me this. He said, Wayne, the change in my life toward Jesus actually began with my sixth grade teacher. I met her just before school started that fall. She looked me in the eye, and she said, I don't believe it. Now, I was a bad kid from a rough place. He was from a very rough part of Philadelphia. I was a bad kid from a rough place, and I expected her to continue detailing how she couldn't believe I was that horrible. But she didn't. She went on and said, I don't believe you are helpless or worthless. I believe you are smart, and you are loved by the God who made you. She looked at him and said, I believe in you, Howie. 
and I believe you're going to shine this year. By the end of that year, he told me, I'd come to faith in Jesus, I'd made all A's, and I'd realized for the first time in my life I could contribute things of worth. It was not lost on me, by the way, that I heard that story while sitting in the refreshment room. When we believe in people, when we love on people, it, it refreshes, it changes lives. Teachers are perfectly positioned to do this, of course. If, if you are an educator, uh, public, private, home, if, if you educate at any level, would you please stand right now? Stand up. And by the way, with them, if you serve in, in children's ministry in any capacity or youth ministry or adult ministry, if you're, if you're helping people learn in any form, stand up, please. Children's, youth, adult, all the educators. All right, let's give all these people a hand. Thank you. Right, stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. I, I want to... Before you sit down, I want to do something. I want us to make a teacher-to-teacher commitment here, okay? Uh, I, I'm going to pray, and I invite you to pray this prayer with me as educators. Let, let's pray this. Lord, make, make this text an ongoing reminder for us. Lord, we as teachers put ourselves in your hands, and we pray that you make us refreshing, like Prof. Hendrick's teacher, like Philemon, that we refresh people that we guide. In Jesus' name. All the teachers said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, in Philemon's case, his encouragement seems to be directed toward the church that meets in his home. He probably refreshed other people as well, but, but just hosting a church is a big deal. Have you, have you ever had a life group meet in your house regularly? It is a lot of work, is it not? It's exhausting. And Philemon was doing that hard work under some, some nascent persecution that was going on in Asia Minor. Just opening his villa to the church could seriously have harmed his business, even his life. Think, think about this for a moment. What are some other ways that God's people can refresh others, look at verse 5, through faith and love? We talked about hosting. We talked about teaching. Those are wonderful encouragements. What are others? What are other ways to refresh the brethren? Now, while you ponder that, look over to the right side of your notes. I'd like you to look to the right side of your notes. There you're going to see a letter that summarizes just one way that some of you expressed faith and love this past summer. Okay, let me read it to you. It's a letter I received from a lady named Develia Cox. She wrote me and said, Dr. Broderick, it is with much appreciation I send you this email. Two weeks ago, your church had an amazing group of ladies working to feed the children at Bright Elementary. These individuals did such an outstanding job. The passion and willingness to serve those children was like something I had never seen before. It truly speaks volumes about your church. I recently took a position in a community near the school and was responsible for running a youth program. We went to the school every day for lunch, and you all helped me out so much. On behalf of the Rainbow Housing Assistance Corporation, I would like to say thanks from the bottom of my heart. Close quote to Villia Cox. Well done. However, before we smugly move on, assuming that we have mastered this like Philemon, think one last time about the combination here in the text, faith and love. Re re read it again, okay? Because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Love and faith. If, if I merely love with no basis in trusting God, what have I achieved? Nothing that lasts, Okay? The world is full of nice things done by well-meaning people, but those things leave absolutely no permanent mark. They, they are like sandcastles built on a seashore, and it's just a matter of time till the tide marks them out, and there is no trace of their having been there at all. I'm not trying to denigrate good deeds. I'm just telling you the facts. Look, if you tidy up the deck chairs on the Titanic... 
You're not doing a whole lot of good. It's very nice of you to tidy the deck chairs on a ship. You're making it nicer for the people who come behind you. But it's the Titanic, folks. They, they need a little bit more than just tidy deck chairs, right? We've got to stop and recognize that life is really, really short. People are in need of a whole lot more than just some tidy good deed. Sharing faith as well as your care becomes graphically important when you think about this. In fact, you, you know this, right? Sharing the truth of Jesus is the ultimate expression of love. Now, on the other hand, if you trust Jesus, but you're not loving toward people, you're frankly not refreshing at all either. I was working in the ER one time, and I got into a conversation with a nurse. It was a long chat, and you guys know this. If you talk with anybody long enough, eventually the conversation will turn to real things, right? And this lady then opened up, and she began to share about her deepest beliefs, and, and, and she talked for some time, and I listened. And then when she was done, I opened a Bible, and I shared the good news of Messiah Jesus. It was amazing. Folks, her reaction was absolutely nothing I'd ever seen before. She looked at me, interrupted me, and said, with eyes darkened, she said, I will silence you if you say anything more about that. I mean, all we needed was a rotating head, and the Hollywood idea of demonization would have been right there on display. It was unbelievable. Now, at that moment, I had a choice. I could become surly and defensive. I mean, after all, this is unfair. I listened to her. She should listen to me. Or I could pray. I could smile. And I could continue to show love with my faith, right? In, in other words, I could react naturally, or I could trust God to guide me in supernatural love with faith. Guess which one I did? Well, oh. fascinating that they don't answer, isn't it, Pastor Andy? <laughs> you guessed it. Horribly, I reacted in the flesh instead of the spirit. Oh, I, I eviscerated her. I, I, I took every one of her little arguments and just cut them into little pieces and laid them on the ground. I won the battle, but I lost the war. Now, I know and you know that the Lord will use his truth. And I've prayed many times that that nurse came to the Savior. But let me just ask you this. Knowing what you know about the Bible, do I get any Philemon-type rewards in heaven for that performance, yes or no? Now, of course, you wonderful Christians are surely strong in both love and faith, right? But if by chance you were weak in one or the other, which would it be? All right, let me describe this now. Some people tend to love without actively thinking of it as an extension of your trust in God and of, and of God's love toward you. Your good deeds, let me put it this way, your good deeds tend to be about you and making you feel better or about other people right? Your expressions of love are not about trusting God to work through you, and here's how you know. Because you don't show the ultimate expression of love, you don't share the good news of Jesus Christ, all right? So if that's you, if you tend to love but it's lacking in faith, raise your hand. You tend to love but it's lacking. You're not comfortable doing the other. Okay, great. That's fine. Um, the, the other side of it is, uh, let's raise your hand if this is you. If, if you trust Jesus, you share your faith, but you're more likely to be unloving toward people. That's you if you're more likely to be unloving. Yeah, thank you. All right, it's about, it's about half and half, and basically what we've done is we've just described the basis of political parties. Now, um, <laughs> of course, looking at that makes you wonder in the um, uh, Forrest Gump voice that you use in your head, um, how can I fix that? I mean, how could other people who struggle with faith and love, not me, of course, how could they change their deficiency? Thank you so much for asking for us. Great question. The answer is in verse 6. Go back to that. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. Okay. 
if you hate grammar, take a deep breath, please. Deep breath, because this is going to hurt, all right? But it is so worth it. It's so worth it. Okay, I want you to look at the structure of Paul's amazing sentence here, okay? We've got, I pray. Very simple. You're with me so far, right? Subject, verb. I pray. That's it. Now, this should matter to us. It should be important because this is what God's apostle thinks is the most important thing to take to the Lord. Now, look at the object of that prayer in order to learn what's so important. And I'd like to read it to you, if I could, in the Greek text, just just translated literally, it's not, it's not going to flow well, but these are the words in the Greek text, okay? I pray what? That the sharing of your faith, and it, it can be, depending on how you interpret it, the participation in faith, may become effective for or through knowledge of every good that is in us for Christ, okay? Every good that is in us for Christ. Now, look at this. The gerund sharing is coupled with a prepositional phrase, of your faith. These prepositional phrases are really, really, really important here. They're going to build the action, okay? Gerund uh, sharing with of your faith, that's a predicate nominative, okay? And the verbal that goes with it is become effective. Do you see that? Now, the, the text builds powerfully, logically. How can that happen? How can I be effective in my faith participation? Through knowledge. Through knowledge. See that prepositional phrase? And, of course, that makes us ask, knowledge of what? Right? Good question. Thank you for asking. Our third prepositional phrase builds up to the climactic answer. Knowledge of every good that is in us. All right, look, look at what we've got here. Here's what we've got. Okay, knowledge of every good that is in us. Uh, I, I seem to have lost things. It, it's not backwards, back, 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 back. Thank you, bless you. There we go, right there, stop there. Thank you. Good, good job. God's apostle prays for what? What does he pray for? He prays we become effective in sharing our faith. How can that come about? Through what, everybody? Knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of what is it, everybody? Every good thing. And where are those goodies? Where are they? Inside us. Now, if the text stopped right there, if the sentence stopped there, we would surely puff out our chest and we would say, yep, yep, lots of good in me. That's how you become effective. You know how great you are because God's put all the blessings in you. Right? Hold on there, Hamlet. There is one more prepositional phrase, and this one totally deflates that self focused pride. Look at the next one. Why are the good things in us? It's not for our glory, for Jesus. You see that? Very significant. That last prepositional phrase caps the whole thing and drives it. Good things are not in us because of us. They're not even in us for others. They're in us because of the only one and for the only one who actually deserves glory, Messiah Jesus. That is the climactic point. It's all for Jesus. God wants us to be like Philemon. Paul's prayer for Philemon is the prayer for all of us, that we effectively refresh others by knowing all the good things in our lives exist to bring glory to Jesus. So what does that look like in everyday life? It's not really hard to figure out. Let me show you four types of people. You tell me which one of these refreshes, okay? First is the falsely humble. Okay, the falsely humble person. This is a person who every compliment, every encouragement, they're like, oh, no, don't, just don't say anything. It's all about Jesus. It's not me. It's just not about me. Right? Okay, that's the falsely humble person. The second one is the say-nothing person. Oh, I don't, I don't want to be controversial. I don't ever say anything about Jesus or the gospel. I mean, I, I, just, I just let my good works uh, be my message, and, and I, I just do good things. I don't ever say anything about the Bible or anything like that, okay? Number three is the self-absorbed. It's, look at the great things God's put in me. The greatest love of all is happening inside of me. That, that's, okay, number three, right? 
And then number four is the joyful glorifier, the person, the person who says, I trust Jesus, and I love that I get to glorify you forever by, by loving other people and trusting and encouraging them. Okay, which one gets verse six? One, two, three, or four, what number? It's four. This isn't hard, is it? What's hard is figuring out where I am most of the time. Where are you? Where, where are you most of the time? Are you number one, the falsely humble? Are you number two, the, the say nothing? Are you number three, the self-absorbed? Or are you number four, the joyful glorifier? Only number four is refreshing. Guys, the world is filled with numbers one through three. Don't be numbers one through three any longer. Amen? Folks, a strong argument can be made that a major message of the Scripture is the revitalizing blessing that is found in glorifying God alone, in everything being for Him. Here's how Jesus summarized it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said this, beginning of His Sermon on the Mount. He said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify whom, everybody? Your Father in heaven, right? Um, think, think, think. Very first statement in the Bible is what? In the beginning, what? God. Very first statement in the Bible. All right, that primary emphasis on God is going to continue all throughout the Scripture. In fact, late in the canon, the Apostle John closes an epistle with this statement. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. And an idol is anything that comes between the human heart and God. It is anything in which I glory other than the Lord. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking in that uh, Tiger Woods accent that you love to throw down. Um, you're saying, so, uh, yeah, the back's good. I, I, I played well. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, why is that such a big deal? I mean, uh, why does he always touch his nose? You know what I'm saying? Well, uh, why run that idea all through the Bible? Tiger Woods. Thank you, Tiger, for asking. God's glory is the biggest deal because nothing else comes as close to being as awesome, as fulfilling, as refreshing. Everything else is paltry. Think, think of it like this. Hot Texas day. Okay, it's a very hot Texas day. You can cool off either with this teaspoon of water or this clear, cold swimming pool. Which one do you choose? Which one, everybody? The pool. It is much more refreshing. That teaspoon represents the best possible earthly thing in which you could glory, and this represents God's glory. It is not about me. It's not even about the person to whom I show love or whom I trust or for whom I pray. Life is about glorifying the Lord Jesus whom I love and trust. With that in mind, let's recite the mission of this church. Um, the mission of our church, just like verse 6, has the very, last, the very last prepositional phrase drives the whole thing. All the meaning is there. So let's go through it together. We'll do it as questions. I'll ask you four questions. You answer with the parts of the mission of Frisco Bible Church. Who are we, everybody? And what do we do? How, how do we do that? Why? What's the purpose? All God's people said? Amen. Now, read verse 7. Verse 7. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. You refresh through encouragement of the brotherhood. Man, I want, I want verse 7 to be true of me. I want that to be said of me, don't you? Other Christians are refreshed through you. So tell me, what encourages you? I asked you earlier to think about, um, I said, what are some ways that God's people can refresh others through faith and love? What do you think of? Raise your hands, just a few of you. Raise your hands very briefly. Tell me something that, that refreshes you, that encourages you when your brethren do it for you. Raise your hand. Somebody over here, give me something. What encourages you? 
You got one? Go ahead. Share my load. Share my load. You're not heavy. You're my brother. Yeah. What do you got? Call me when you think about me. Very good. Your wife just smiled. She does that all the time. Right. Very good. Very, that, is, that is very encouraging. What else? What, what lifts you up? What refreshes you? Somebody over here. Yeah. Write a note of encouragement. Write a note of encouragement. Put it which you, in the mail. And put it in the mail. Whoa. High bar. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's cool. That's very good. Amen. Uh, we, we, we would do well to do all those things for each other. Friends, people all around us are baking. They are baking in the heat of a hard, hot world. They need the encouragement of love, especially the Christians, which is the, the main emphasis of this passage. The, the Christian life on earth is a little bit like a house sitting on the kind of soils we have in North Texas, you know, the clay soils that we have in most places. Um, the, the sun beats down on that clay, dries it out, and as it dries out, the clay retracts, and the stem wall of the house uh, diminishes. It goes down because of the lack of pressure underneath it. When, when we do the restorative things, it's like foundation repair, which lifts up the whole house. It doesn't just repair the crack. It lifts the entire place. This is why your church works so hard to lift up the brethren. I just want to remind you, maybe you haven't heard all these in one place in a while. Let me just walk you through a couple of things. Just during this past year, this this year that's only halfway over. We have invested time and advice and materials and money and love into seven existing churches in our area and many, many others around the world. Um, our staff have helped four different church plants and we love these church planters and have poured actually quite a bit of energy into trying to help them with their churches. We host uh, here on your campus, we host the wonderful school Grace Covenant Academy meets here. We have our Indian Fellowship that meets here on Saturday nights. We've got the Frisco Young Life staff offices here. We love Young Life. And there is a fantastic Mandarin-speaking Chinese church that meets here at 2 o'clock every Sunday afternoon, and they're growing like crazy. Refresh the brethren, folks. That's why we do all this. That's why we started uh, Grace Bible Church near San Antonio. That's why we planted that church and Legacy Christian Academy and why we began the Frisco Homeless School Group and why we started all the difference and scores and scores of other ministries. We do these things because the brethren always need to be encouraged. Amen? Of course, the whole church can be refreshing and yet individual members can miss out by sitting on the sidelines. Look back at verse 6. Verse 6, what my Bible renders participation is the great Greek word koinonia. Koinonia means sharing. It, it, means, it means walking together in fellowship. When we participate in koinonia, giving, receiving, sharing together, it, it, it makes for energy. It allows our faith to become effective. The, the Greek word we translate effective is actually energes. What English word does that sound like? Energes. Energy, yeah, that's where we got the word energy from. We, we took it straight from the Greek. Energize means powerful, energized. Now, I don't relish in causing you pain, but my job is to tell you truth. If you aren't participating, koinonia, if you aren't giving yourself in ministry or life groups or other forms of koinonia, you cannot be powerful in your faith, period. Your church may be great, but you personally are missing out, and I'll tell you something very significant. You are not as strong as you think you are your inner gaze is not as high as you think. Now, one more time, look at verse seven. Let's close with this observation. Paul is willing to be uplifted. Do you see that? It's implied in the text, you uplift. It means he's willing to be refreshed. That is important because no one, I don't think anyone except Jesus ever understood more about the ugliness and depravity of life than Paul did. And yet, Paul is not cynical. He's not closed. He is willing to be refreshed. There are Eeyores in this world who refuse to be encouraged. They do. We still love them. 
But there is, quite frankly, little we can do for them. A friend of mine recently put it this way. He wrote me and he said, Wayne, I know some people who just won't let you do anything for them. It's sad because they cut themselves off from the blessing. Close quote. By contrast, Paul is willing to be refreshed, even in his horrible imprisonment as he writes this. He's willing to be refreshed. Are we? Pray with me, please. Lord, we need to let go of our defeat our cynicism, our fear, our pain and anger so we can accept the encouragement we need. Help us. Father, we also wish to be and we need to be people of effective refreshment who bless others. Remind and convict us to pray for others regularly, continually, purposefully. Help us to be people of faith who remember that you're our provider. We're merely living out what you have done and are doing in us. Strengthen us so we might love people. It's hard because they're all stinky and mean, and yet somehow you love stinky, mean us, so surely we can love others. Ultimately, Lord, let us be like Paul and Philemon. Develop my brothers and sisters, develop me, so that we are a continuous encouragement to the brotherhood. And speaking of the brotherhood, even beyond these walls, we pray for our brethren all around the world this morning who are worshiping you. You love them, and so do we, and we ask you to bless and encourage them. We pray for the churches here in our alliance in Frisco, those wonderful, wonderful pastors with whom I get to have lunch every month. Deepen them, develop them. Lord, correct their theology. Some of them really need it. Bless them, bless them, Lord, with money. I pray their churches give and they grow for the sake of the people and the sake of the whole. Bless them with people coming to faith in Christ. Swell their numbers, deepen their impact. And by the way, I see the ushers here forward. I I pray the same for this church. Lord, as, as I give, as we give, let us do so with reckless, joyful abandonment to you, returning a portion of what you give to us so freely. And we pray that does deepen our impact. And we thank you for this opportunity. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.